This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. As I look back at my years in business, I remember that there are many, many times I needed a lawyer to just poke their nose in and take a look and see what they could do to help. Sometimes I just needed advice on a lease. Other times I needed to have a contract that a customer wanted me to sign or a vendor wanted me to sign and I wanted someone to look at it. Sometimes I had to worry about employment law. Other times I needed to change my corporation, make partnership agreements, things on that level. So I'm very proud that we are sponsored by a firm that specializes in these types of things for small businesses. Coincidentally, it's called the Small Business Law Firm. Scott Williams is the principal attorney at the Small Business Law Firm. He's the go-to guy for anything related to small business matters. I like to think of them as the Swiss Army knife for your business. So when you're ready, and even if you're not ready, keep it on hand because you might be ready sooner than you know, call 855-5-BIZ-LAW. That's 855-524-9529. Ask for Scott, mention the Small Biz Cast, and remember they're a great resource should things get ugly. Hello, small business warriors. I'm Joel Volk, and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges, blemishes and all. I'm super excited to bring you Cliff Scott of The Scott Group. Cliff is a marketing strategist helping clients create advertising and marketing that distinguishes themselves from their competition. Cliff is an expert in consumer behavior and messaging strategy. As you listen to my interview, as a small business person, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully, you'll learn something while finding inspiration and ideas from the people I introduce you to, like Cliff. Hopefully, you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog. It's a wonderful life. I'm still trying to figure out who the real Cliff Scott is. So. Yeah. Actually, when I grow up, I want to be like Joel Volk. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, footloose and fancy free. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. So, so you know, I would say, I would say um, you know, about 20 years ago, I started my own consulting firm, and, and, and I didn't do it because I had a great vision. Um, I did it because I was laid off from my last job in advertising, and, um, um, and I needed to keep the creditors at bay. You know, every... every thousand dollars that I made consulting gave me, you know, another few days more that I could like look for a new job. Right. Um, so here I am 23 years later, either um, a reasonably successful strategic consultant um, or the longest unemployed advertising agency guy you ever met in your entire life. Well, I always look at consultants. When people tell me they're consultants, I often think here's a guy that's unemployed but has money in the bank. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> I was unemployed with no money on the bank. Yeah, so. that's a bad day. Yeah, yeah, it was really. <laughs> but but you know, I, it's really a, a consulting firm that that talks mostly about brand identity um, and and marketing strategy and and you know coming up with with what the message is all about. Um, and, and, you know, these days you talk to everybody and, and all they want to do is talk about branding. Right. Right. You've probably heard a lot about branding. I would be the guy doing that. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, and the problem with everybody talking about branding is that it's kind of like teenage sex. Everybody talks about it, but no one really does it. Well, it's kind of like that. It's like yeah. everybody talks about it. Everybody says they're doing it. Right. Um, but nobody really quite knows what they're really doing. Right. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> well, I, I had the I had a tough time being in business translating it to people that didn't get the concept in general. So, for instance, I wanted every email we said to have the same font and same color of the font, and I wanted there to be the subject line to be in a very consistent way because I wanted at a glance everybody to know that this email came from Mercury Document Imaging. Right. And that's that's what I tried to do, but because I don't think I had people that understood the concept in general. 
it was very hard to keep the consistency. And unless I wanted to be the 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 the, the email Nazi, I was going to have to just give it up a little bit. Well, and and, and you know, I think um, that's that's a common. Uh, that's, that's a common trait found among a lot of companies is that, is that they translate branding into consistent look and feel. Okay, which um, is absolutely what I was doing. Right, and, and that's, that's on the executional side of it, right? So, so when I talk about branding, um, for me, branding is, um, is about creating a personality, creating a memory of the products and services that are being offered by the company, which is essentially the brand. Right. Um, because, because these days, customers and non-customers and consumers, whether it's B2C or B2B, it doesn't really matter, um, they, they don't have necessarily a, a strong image of what this brand is all about. I mean, we, we were talking about this before we started recording about, about um, you know, when, when consumers shopped at a general store many hundreds of years ago, right? They knew the owner of the general store, and so the branding was the owner. Right. I know Sam. I can trust Sam. He's a good guy. He carries stuff that I want to buy. Um, he's not going to screw me. His prices are fair. Um, if I need something, he's going to go find it and source it for me. So, so Sam was the brand. Um, today, Sam's disappeared. That general store doesn't exist. And it got replaced by companies like Target and Kmart. Um, and the interesting thing is that today, people love shopping at Target, primarily because of their brand. Um, and they won't step into a Kmart, primarily because of their brand. If you, if you closed your eyes and stood in the middle of an aisle in a Target and a Kmart, all right, the Kmart might be a little dirtier than the Target. Right. But, but the offerings are fundamentally the same. And ninety percent of the products that are offered at a Kmart are offered at a Target. Yeah, I know it's off the topic a little bit. Can I tell you my Kmart reality? Yeah, I grew up a kind of a poor household, and so we used to shop at Kmart. And I did, and so when we would try shoes on, they were tied by these little three-inch little plastic strings. Right. And so I did. I you never waddle. So we had to waddle to try it on. <laughs> so I. So I, my recollection, I never walked in shoes. My mother would say, do they fit? And I would go, yeah, they fit. I didn't know. But I couldn't. <laughs> I just remember walking with those little strings attached. So you say Kmart. And probably the number one reason why I would never go into Kmart now is the trauma <laughs> of that. But so. But, but, but isn't that interesting? Okay. So, so, so th- that, that leads me to another observation, which, which is um, – that memory is is an emotional memory, right? Because I, I you, related probably inappropriately. Trauma, right? I I related probably inappropriately to being poor. You don't have to be poor to shop at Kmart. You might have great reasons to shop at Kmart and have plenty of means. But when we were a kid, we didn't have much, and that was like we shopped at Kmart because we had no other choices. Well, so so isn't it interesting that that your memory of Kmart is is all about this sort of emotional trauma? Right. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's not about do they have the lowest prices. It's not about do they have the best selection. It's not about do they have the best service. It's not about are they closest to me to drive to. It, it's this emotional trauma. And immature. It was the eyes of a seven-year-old that's telling my entire life story about Kmart. Emotions are what drive behavior. Right. Okay. We 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 rationalize with intellect. Exactly right. But right. we decide with emotion. Most common mistake that marketers make is that they believe that they can change behavior on a behavioral level. Right. Right? So so if I say to you, if you'll come to my store, I'll give you a lollipop. Right. 
right? And every time you come to my store, I give you a lollipop. If I stop giving you the lollipop, guess what happens? Yeah, stop coming to the store, right? That right. that doesn't change behavior, right? Right. You have to. So so the interesting thing about emotions is that emotions are based more on perception than they are based on reality. Right. And and so what most marketers fail to do is they fail to change the underlying perceptions that drive the behavior. They just try to go after the behavior. And if you can change perceptions, then the behavior just follows as a result. So do you think that's part of the problem with scaling a business is you can't scale emotions necessarily, but you can scale the intellectual metrics that create the rationale? Yeah, I, I would say I would say um, it differently. I would say it's more difficult to scale the emotions right. than to scale the rationale. Right. It's, it's easier to... You know, offer a twenty percent discount right. on everything that you're selling, right? Because that's measurable and stuff. Like right. That. But but it's harder to say to yourself, how do I change the perceptions that people have about my brand? So here's a good example, and I love these ads. What is the best first job in America? What is the best first job in America? Um, I don't know. Well, McDonald's, that's how they're advertising. They're advertising these kids, young kids starting their first job, getting a review. And they're advertising, saying that that's their new slogan. It's no, it's no longer put on a happy face or whatever they used to say. Um, it's, it's, it's creating the best first job in America. So isn't that interesting? I think it's fascinating. Well, so, so are they talking about the burgers? No. Are they talking about the flavor? No. Are they talking about the pricing? No. Are they talking about how convenient it no. is? They're how fast the service is? No. No. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. It has nothing to do with the deliverable. It has to do with that they're trying to create a, a, a culture of, of success, a culture of upward mobility through the job that you don't want your kids to take. They're, what they're trying to do, and, and, and I would agree with everything you're saying, um, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you to feel differently right. about McDonald's than you do about Burger King or Wendy's or right. Carl's or any of that. Yeah, I think and, it's fascinating. And if you feel differently right. about a brand, you, you know, think about the best brands in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Coke, yeah. Budweiser, mm -hmm. Nike. Ni Nike shoes come off the same assembly line as every other shoemaker because they're, they're made in Korea. Right. And, you know, after 12 hours of making Nike, they close down the assembly line and they may start making New Balance. Mm -hmm. And after four hours of that, they start making a deep, you know. It's, I think Apple is the best example. Same thing. Right. Right? And, 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 and Apple's a great one, right? It's like you, you ask people how they feel about their iPhone. They'll say to you, oh, oh my God, I love my iPhone. Right. It's a part of them. I love it. When right? we were kids. If you could love a brand. Right. Then, then, then uh, my, my favorite marketer is a guy named Simon Sinek. And Simon says, brand loyalty. Wait, wait, say it again. Simon says. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say Simon says. Simon says. <laughs> Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, says Simon, Simon talks about how brand loyalty is measured in the incremental premium you're willing to pay for a commoditized offering. Right. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Because, because if you love something... Well, how much more are you willing to pay for? So the challenge then, since we're talking to small business people, is how do you translate that to the guy delivering? You know, how do I translate that to the guy who has the plumbing company? How do I deliver? How do I to the guy that ran the copier company? I can tell you that's what we struggled with forever. We didn't want to be the cheapest guy in the block. We wanted to deliver the best value, and we wanted to convey that. But 
sometimes it's all about price. And and I think you did a good job of that um, in your conversation with Michael Weintraub. Yes. Where where you said to him that that the job that you were really selling was was not copiers or printers or or anything. That that what you were really selling was efficiency and productivity. Because because I can that affects me emotionally, right? If 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 I know that I go to Joel. You know, my, he's going to make my business better. He's going to make it more efficient. He's going to improve it. He's going to make me a hero. Um, then, then I'm going to feel differently about buying copiers from Joel. It's like the, all of a sudden Joel comes in and he says, "Well, it's going to cost a few dollars more." My answer is going to be, "I don't care." Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, but, hopefully. But, but not every business has the value add opportunities, or do they? I think they do. Right. I think they do. I think I think that regardless of whether. You, you know, a lot of my clients come to me and, and they're in the technology business. Right. right? They, they say, Cliff, it's a B2B business, right? Business to business offering. Um, we're selling to engineers. Okay. Engineers are people who measure stuff and, you know, what's this emotion stuff? And, and my answer is, as long as there is a human being making the decision on the other side of the table, then they're making the decision based on emotion, not based on rationale. Okay, and, and so it doesn't matter what your business is. Right. It doesn't matter whether you're in the dry cleaning business. It doesn't matter whether you're in the real estate business. It doesn't matter whether you're in the insurance business. Right. As long as your customer and your non-customer, which is maybe even more important than right. your customer, as long as your potential customer is a human being, you know, we know this right. because, um, and by the way, this isn't my opinion. This is science. Okay, so so you have um, three parts, three fundamental parts of your brain. Is this real science or fake science? No, this is real science. Oh, okay, <laughs> this is real science. You, you have, I, I don't want to get too technical here, but but um, uh, you you have what's called your reptilian brain, mm-hmm. right? Which is a, a big portion of your brain, mm-hmm. and and that's just the the part of your brain that tells you whether it's better to fight or flee. Right. Right. Um, then you have what makes human beings different which is your frontal cortex, right? That, that enables you to reason and figure things out. It's where all mathematics is done. Uh-huh. It's where all logic is taken care of. Um, people like to believe that that frontal cortex really drives behavior. So that's where logic comes from too? Yeah. It is? Yeah, and okay. your frontal cortex, okay. which is why um, you know, I like to talk about my son, who, by the way, turns 30 today. It's hard to imagine. Happy birthday, but, Ryan. <laughs> but... Um, but, but you know, frontal cortex is the last part of your brain that develops, mm-hmm. um, and that's why, you know, insurance car insurance companies don't like insuring twenty two year old males right. because they're not fully developed. Right. But but what really drives behavior is what's called your limbic brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your limbic brain has no ability. Um, it has no language ability. Um, it has no reasoning ability. It has no thinking ability. All instinct. It's all instinct and emotion. Right. Exactly right. And 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 that emotion, mm-hmm. right, right, when you think about it, um, what's the old rule in real estate, which is if you're going to sell your house, um, before you have an open house, cook bread in the morning. Right, right. Because right? it makes right. it feel more like a home. Right. Well, that's a sense. Right. Right? That, that's smelling. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most important emotional stimuli mm-hmm. is smell. Right. Endorphins. Um, and yeah, exactly. All that. Right. It it can change your behavior. It it changes the way you feel. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's like it's a if if I brought you the smell of a Thanksgiving turkey. Right. It's gonna it's gonna cause you to come up with memories and 
Right. And that's going to... That's why gonna, the restaurants pump out the barbecue smell from... Exactly. Right. Exactly right. How do you translate, though, that to... Again, I'll bring up the small business. If you're not a restaurant, you can't put the smell out. How do you do that if you have a small internet-related business? How do you put the smell in that? How do you put the the proverbial smell, of course? But how do you how do you put how does someone how's the average Joe or Jill do that? Right. So let's talk about internet. Um, it, it's it's much more difficult um, because because you don't have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. ability, right? You, it's it's tougher to to give people that sense. Which is the emotional sense, but but when you think about it, um, Amazon. Why why do people buy from Amazon versus buying from anywhere else? I mean, they'll tell you that the answer is, oh, I'm a member of Amazon Prime, so I get it tomorrow. They'll tell you that the answer is, um, oh, uh, you know, Amazon always offers me the lowest prices. So so they'll give you a bunch of answers, but that's not the real reason. The real reason is because Amazon is a brand I can trust. Yeah, they've done a great job of being a customer-centric company. Right, and 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 and, and why is it that Amazon? Uh, the other the other day, I had a problem. I, I um, I'm a cyclist, so um, I bought you know 24 bike tubes, tire tubes, right? <laughs> you're you're a pessimistic cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a realist. <laughs> so um, so um, I had three of them that that were. Faulty, right? They, they obviously, so so, and and um, and I didn't find that out for six months, right? And, and so I called them back six months later. I said, you know, I bought twenty four of them, and the first three turned out to be faulty. I have no confidence that the next twenty one are going to be okay, right? They said, here's what we're going to do: we're going to refund you all the money for the twenty four, right? And you don't even have to send them back to us, right? Just throw them away, right? I was like, who yeah, do, who does that, right? Right. Who does? But but Amazon understands that um, you can measure the value of a customer right um, monetarily. So it comes down to the lifetime value of the client. It's Absolutely. worth investing in the lifetime value of the client. And that's that's all that um, internet marketing is. So conf- true confession time. I, I promise blemishes and all. As you say that, it took me a long time to realize the true value of a customer. It really did. And when I was young in business, being right about a, a conflict was enough for me to walk away from the relationship. <laughs> and as I grew, as I stayed in my business for 20, 25, 30, 34 years, I would drive on Ventura Boulevard, the main street in where I do business, and I would pass, and I wouldn't see, I had thousands of customers, okay? I would see all the ones that used to be my customers that I was, quote, right, unquote, about, that stopped being my client years ago, which meant I stopped earning money on them years ago, because I was right, because I didn't fully appreciate the value of the client when I was young. And right. it took me a long time to realize that. And conversely, I was at a restaurant recently. So, so the question is, do you want to be right or do you want to be yeah, rich? Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. And, and, and fun, one, one, one stands out in particular, and I happen to see the principal every once in a while at a, as we belong to a common charity. And it's probably been 20 years since I was right and he did any business with me. And um, I, I was talking to him. I said, you know, there's been something that's been on my mind for quite a while that, you know, you and I had a conflict all those years ago. And I just want to – I was wrong. I was – I apologize. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so it ate, it ate at me. It was like a poison in me, right, it, for all those years. It bothered me about a weakness in myself. And it bothered me that I had – I wanted to own the problem, you know. And by the way, he's, he's still not a client of mine. 
I think he probably also forgot that I apologized to him. Well, I, but, it, but, but he's the, but in that time, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but in that time, he's obviously developed other relationships with people, and he should stay loyal sure. to them. Well, so. in the spirit of true confessions, I will share with you that um, one of my um, worst predictions ever was that Amazon must fail. Right. Right. I was I was a hundred percent convinced that Amazon would fail. Um, and it was based on exactly the metrics that you're talking about, right. because because Amazon at the time was in the business of selling books, right? And and um, and I knew what their um, I knew what their their what they were paying essentially for a new customer. And the, right. In the internet business, it's very simple to measure, right? Because because you know what it costs you to reach somebody, right? You know what that 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 reach to click conversion is, you know what that click to acquisition conversion is. So, so all those metrics are just there for you to look at. Right. The, the cost of acquiring a new customer for Amazon, I think it was like their third year that they were in existence was somewhere on the order of $85. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I'm looking at this saying, how can you spend $85 to acquire a new customer when the gross margin on a book is maybe like four bucks? Right. Right, it's like, do you really think you're going to send sell 25 books over the course of that person's life before and, he finds somebody else to buy from? Really? Yeah. So, so right. I was like, sure. Right. Um, Jeff Bezos, obviously a little bit smarter than <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. I'm trying to get him on the show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not a small business guy. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really like small business. Um, the uh, it's funny because I I remember when I lived in Chatsworth, the Starbucks opened up on in what I considered the worst location ever. I remember driving with my wife going. There's no way that it, the Starbucks is going to make it there. Now there's one on opposite corners because there's so much business they had to have it on two corners, the so, same intersection. So Starbucks is one of my favorite examples. Right. Right. Um, what business is Starbucks in? Well, I, I read the book. I read, I read, I read his book. It's a fascinating book. It's called, it's called Pour Your Heart Into It. And, uh, and he's, it's, it's the third place. It's the third place. It's the third place. Not home, not work, but the third place. Right. And it was, it, that was one of my eye-opening moments reading that book um um because of because of that concept that he listen that's he was he was selling three dollar cups of coffee when everybody was selling 85 cent cups of coffee right and people were lining up for it and by the and if you ask me it's not the best cup of coffee in no the world. i agree with you so but but i'm also i'm also a starbucks gold member so right, <laughs> right. so the iced is pretty good <laughs> obviously that third place was yeah for, no it, 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 it he was it, you know my favorite example is, is you walk into an office building in the morning right right and and you and you walk up to the elevator and you know the crowd of people around you and you get on the elevator and everybody's standing on the elevator and what do people do they hold their Starbucks in front of them. Right. Like it's this proud badge, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I was able to stop at Starbucks yeah, this morning. Right. And look what I picked up. I've got a $4 mocha latte here. That's funny. It's a badge. It's like a statement that says, I can go to Starbucks. It's, it has no idea what's in the cup. It doesn't so, matter. So I had this marketing idea about 10 years ago that I would go to an office building coffee shop inside the building. And I would set up a basically a mini showroom of the products that we sold for offices. And I would... I would cold call the whole building. I would flyer the building, and I would send postcards to the building saying, "If you come on, you know, Monday between seven thirty and nine o'clock, I'll buy you a cup of coffee." Yeah, and I get to meet you, and you get to see my copiers, and maybe we get to make a relationship. The problem is Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Although they didn't, people were not buying coffee at the coffee shop. Right, they already had their coffee, and so maybe I got a couple. Of, I got 
you know, four people walked in. So you were versus an office building. Full. Well, you were way ahead of your time because because today those are called pop up stores. Right. Right. And and I think it, you could do them with a lot of success. And the other thing is that did you just hear about what Panera did? No. So Panera just uh, last week um, offered a new idea. Uh, it, it, they're rolling it out through all of their Panera stores, where for nine dollars a month, you can have all the coffee you want to drink. Oh, that's great. $9 a month, all the coffee. That you, and, and they tested it. And what they found out, two things they found out, okay? Because it's like the gym club membership right. concept, right? First thing is, you know, the first week you're like, you're like loading up on coffee like there's no tomorrow. Okay. But two months into it, eh, you're buying like this, you know, same amount of coffee you'd always drink. So, so the consumption is not as great as you think it would be. Coffee as a service, by the way. That's what it is. It's coffee as a service. Wow. Brilliant. And on the back end. Yeah. They, they discovered that the number of non-coffee transactions that they would do oh, sure. every time somebody oh, walked sure. in the store. And by the way, morning is Panera's worst day part. Oh, interesting. So, so they were filling to a low day part. Right. And they were able to, you know, it's like, what are they going to say? Our baked goods are better? Right. No, instead they say, nine bucks a month, all the coffee you can drink. Right. I love it. Um, and by the way, you can walk in there with like... You know, a gallon thermos, <laughs> yeah. and they'll fill it up with coffee. Right? They don't care because they know the value of you as a customer. Let's try to push that. Let's see how far we could go. <laughs> let's go in with one. Of, let's go in with another coffee pot yeah. and a sign saying "coffee seventy five cents" and see. <laughs> no, I think you know. I think going going back to your question about um, as a small business person, you know, you, my entire career. Because I worked for advertising agencies, I only worked for one advertising agency that employed more than a hundred people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think my entire career I was surrounded within small businesses. Right. In fact, my dad was in the advertising agency business, so we share that common. We sort of mm -hmm. second generation, right. whatever we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and um, and and I think small businesses. Um, I think the problem that small businesses have, I think it's it's sort of an excuse that, you know, they don't have access to the marketing capital that large businesses have. Right. Um, but but the the challenge is exactly the same challenge, which is which is differentiating and distinguishing your offering based on something other than your offering. Mm -hmm. That that's that's say, a that, say that one more time. Differentiating and distinguishing your offering based on something other right. than your offering. Right. Right? Right, right. Going back to your business of selling copiers. So when my son was very little, we moved to Thousand Oaks, and we went on a Friday or Saturday night. We were going to go out to dinner, and there weren't a lot of, of like family-type restaurants around. And um, we asked him where he wanted to go, and he didn't know the name of the restaurant, but he said we wanted to go to this restaurant that had sprinkles on the ice cream. Mm. There you go. And I knew which restaurant it was. It happened to be a Black Angus restaurant, which is no longer in existence, at yep. least that location. Yep. And um, but it really made me think. That was it was a, it was a kind of a, a a big moment for me business wise because we know what sprinkles cost next to nothing. We know what they taste like next to nothing. We know how much time it takes to apply them next to nothing, and yet it added enough value that the customer wanted to go back. And so it started sort of a thought process to me is what sprinkles could I add to the ice cream that we're selling? And that was a big part of our business development, too, was based on my son wanting to go to the place that has sprinkles on the ice cream. And that's become kind of a common theme for me in my business is what, what else can we add that doesn't 
that's really just a, it's really form over function. Well, you can do it as a value add, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of companies do it as a value add. And, right. and, but, but, but I think the interesting thing about your story is that, yes, it added a small value to it. Right. But, but more importantly than the actual value that it added is you say, do, can you really taste the, the flavor in sprinkles? Um, it created a memory. Right. That's the, oh, back to your emotion. Right. Creating that memory and a personality mm -hmm. is, is you, you know, I learned um, back in the advertising agency business, we, we had a couple of restaurant chains as clients. And when consumers think about, like, you know, where are we going to go to dinner tonight? They, they sort of mentally, like, drive down the street. Right. And, and they try to remember, like, different places that, that they've been to. Interesting. And, and um, this, this was a, a company called Acapulco. Sure. Which was a Mexican restaurant. Sure. Thing. I, I think they're still around. Um, and they had a store on Ventura Boulevard in Encino. Right. Um, and and it, if you looked at the five-mile radius numbers around that store, they were off the charts. Right, income and density and all the measures that you would use to decide that that was a good location mm -hmm. were off the charts, and it was the worst performing store in the chain. Interesting. Why? Because parking sucked. Parking is. It was because you couldn't see the store from. That's the true. That's true. You could. It was down in yeah, the back. Right. And and so as you mentally like walked down or drove down that street. Right. You never saw. You never it. thought about it. Right. You right. never thought about it. Right. So so the memory that a brand creates, mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to your original thing about consistent look and feel, consistent look and feel is how you sort of perpetuate that memory. Gotcha. But but first you have to decide what is it that that memory wants to be. Right? What, what do I want people to feel about my brand? So I used to tell my staff that when a customer calls, you want to embrace them to the warmth of your bosom. <laughs> that, that's what I used to tell my staff. I, hopefully somebody's listening that works for me that remembers this. Because, because the client would always call with a problem. Are you sure you're going to say that these days? Yeah. Well, that's what I would say. So, okay. so the, the client would call with a problem. And I wanted them to realize that once they got us on the phone, everything's going to be okay. Right. So take care of the problem. They're always going right. to call with the problem. That's what we do. We solve problems. So 100% of the time they're going to call, it's because we need to solve the problem. So just embrace them to the warmth of your bosom. We used to be, my staff used to look at me like I was completely insane, but it was the only way I could express how I wanted them to come across. And I'm sorry, I know you want to say something, but, no, 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 but no. I remember one of the best. I just, I just like the way you expressed it. Yeah. Which was. It, that's how you wanted them to feel. That's how you wanted them to feel. Right. Exactly right. So I had a, cl a, a, a dispatcher. I will not use her name. She was the best. She knew where everybody was. She knew the geography. She could send the technicians really well. She was really good at communicating. But she had no ability to say, oh, I'm so sorry. She had no ability to say it. And I would, say, and I would hear her say to people, I'd hear her on the phone, and I'd hear her say, you're welcome. And it used to drive me crazy that they're thanking her. He said, drive me crazy. And I'd go to them and say, when you say you're welcome, it means they said thank you. I want you to respond with your no, thank you. And she'd look at me like she wanted to kick my ass and say, don't tell me how to speak to people. And even though she did a fantastic job technically, I had to let her go. Because I would get these calls from people saying, well, why is this person so unfriendly? And she really, it was, she was just doing the best she could. She didn't have that ability to convey what a nice person she is right. by the way she communicated. Yeah, a good friend of mine ran a, a company called The Right Start, um, and and he had I don't know, 150 customer service people. Uh huh. Um, wow. And 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 he said he 
he used to tell them that there was one question you needed to ask everybody who called, which was, what would it take to make you happy? Right. Right. And and he said, sometimes it was the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> right. It's like, well, I want you to credit back the shipping on my purchase. Yeah, you well, mean for $5, I can make you a happy exactly customer forever right. and you'll tell? <laughs> exactly right. It's I'll, like they just ordered a $200 stroller. Right. And they're like, well. Nobody uh, told me there'd be shipping. <laughs> right. That's great. So what would it take to make you happy? But again, happy yeah. is an emotion. Right. Right. Is an emotion. Right. Deal with the person's emotion. Yeah. And they'll forget, you know, what the real issue was right. at hand. Right. Most people don't remember what they paid for anything that they own. Yep. Yep. But they remember why. They, and yeah. And and you know, my favorite example of this is um, is the IRS. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. they make you feel so good. <laughs> so the IRS is so messed up because because all the IRS does is they try to change people's behavior based on. Um, based on uh, based on legislating, right? So so I don't know what how many pages were in the the tax code at least prior to Trump making his change in the tax code, but 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 I think there were like seventy three thousand pages in the tax code because because every time the IRS would find out that somebody's cheating on their taxes, right, they would come up with a new legislative answer that would prevent people from right. doing it, right? And it was this game of whack a mole. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we'll stop you from doing that. And people would say, well, then I'll figure out another way to cheat on it. And I'll figure out another way to cheat on it. So so over the course of, of you know, amending the tax code and amending the tax code, um, they created 73,000 pages of reasons why you had to adhere to the tax code. And, and the truth is that people keep breaking the law. OK, they do it every year. And in, in, in fact, it is if, if you're sitting down with a group of friends, you know, somewhere in late April, right, people will start saying, oh, you want to know how little I paid on my taxes this right. year? Right. My CPA is so good, he got me down to an 8% tax bracket. I right? got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so isn't, it, isn't it an amazing observation that people are proud of how little they pay in their taxes? Right. And then they turn around and they leave your house? And they get into a brand new BMW right. or a brand new Mercedes Benz. Right. Or if they're female, they pick up a brand new coach bag. Okay. Okay. Which which is a ridiculous expenditure for what they actually bought. Right. Okay. Or they're or they're wearing Nike shoes or they're you know, whatever it is that they're overpaying for. Right. They are proud to overpay for it. Mm-hmm. They are proud to wear that as a badge. Interesting. They, they are proud to say, I am successful enough that I can drive a Mercedes. Right. Okay. So my contention is, if the IRS would have spent all of their time and energy and resources and money into convincing people that it is a good thing to pay taxes, instead of that it is a good thing not to pay taxes, they could totally change the way human beings feel about the way they pay taxes. <laughs> right, right. Give people, it's like, it's like, can you imagine if people would be sitting at that same dinner party in late right. April and saying, ah, you only paid 42% on your taxes? I paid I'm, 45. I paid 45. Right, right. <laughs> right, and people would do that. You think so? Absolutely. Th- because of the emotional. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It's like, why does somebody drive a BMW? Right. Okay, because they want to make a statement that they can afford to drive a BMW. Right. Right. Okay. Why does somebody wear, why does a woman carry a coach bag? Right. Does it function better as a purse? Right. No, of course not. Mm-hmm. They want to make a statement that they can afford to. So, yeah. So yeah. 
it's like if you could like you know have a little badge that you could wear that says oh i'm a I'm a gold member with the IRS. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think about that because um, I, I don't know about you, but I've got this really fancy credit card that's heavy metal. Yeah. Right? Right. And I know, and I'm a little embarrassed to say this out loud, but I will, that sometimes, you know, I can give my Costco that I get 3% back on at the end of the year, by the way. But when you're going out to dinner with people, it's really much more impressive to bring out that hard, heavy Especially metal. Especially when clinks down yeah, in the right, tray. Right, right. Yeah. It, and so, and I, I often look at it going, what, what, what's wrong with me? But I, I did renew. We're all about perception. I guess so. We're all about perception. I guess and so. And the interesting thing is, is that um, perceptions, uh, you know, one of my favorite ways of, of saying this is that when I look in the mirror in the morning, um, I see a short, bald, cuddly, nice, friendly guy. Do you have the same mirror I have? <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> but 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 if you ask my son, yeah, what his perception of me is, yeah, it is anything but. Is that right? No, it's like oh god, he is such a. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll leave the expletives out of your um, out of your well, podcast. But that's funny. But yeah, that it's all about perception, right. and you can change perceptions, and it, and it's not that hard, right? If you're a small business, right? Um, you know how do you do that? Okay, and and it's relatively simple. Okay, because do tell. Can, okay, so you've got two different audiences that you can look at. Right. You've, you've got um, one audience that are your customers and they behave exactly the way you want them to behave. Right. And then you've got your non-customers and they don't behave the way you want them to behave. If you can find out the perceptual gaps between those two audiences, then you can get your non-customers. You, you can give your non-customers stimuli, messaging that will change their perceptions, that will more closely mirror your customers' perceptions. So that all, I understood all of it, but I don't know how to do that. So how, is there an example? Simple. Um, so I guess my favorite example was the men's warehouse. Okay, so, so back in the early 2000s, um, I got a phone call from the men's warehouse, and they said to me, um, we got a problem. We've been around for... 29 years, we've been, you know, they are, by the way, they are the most successful men's specialty apparel company as a retailer in the world. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. They, they are, I mean, now they own Joseph A. Banks, which was oh, wow. a mistake. Um, but um, but they, are, they are the category killer of men's specialty apparel. So, so they called and they, they said, we got a problem. I said, what's your problem? They said, we just had our first quarter of negative same store comparative sales. I said, 29 years, you have one bad quarter, that's a problem. They said, no, 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 we, we don't know why, and, and we, don't, we don't know how to reverse it. So, so it, was, it was very simple. We went out and talked to their customers. Um, and, and when I say talk, you know, we did focus groups, um, but you could just do interviews. Um, it's usually better to hire somebody to do it than to do it yourself. Right. Um, for two reasons. Number one, because it lines people's pockets like me. Um, but the real reason it takes the emotion. Out. <laughs> but the real reason is that is that people don't tell you their honest oh. answers if they know that you have a bias. They'll, right. they'll tell you what they think you want to hear. Okay. So, so we talked to their customers, and their customers told us basically two things. Um, when I go to the men's warehouse, I don't have to pay a lot of money, um, and I get you know I get decent suits, so I think I get a good value. 
And then we talk to their non-customers and their non-customers say, well, the reason I don't go to the men's warehouse is because they sell cheap suits. Hmm. So, so interesting thing, right? Both, both audiences said the same thing about what it costs to go to the men's warehouse. Right. Low cost. Right. And George Zimmer, who at the time was CEO and founder of the Men's Warehouse, had a thing that said... I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Well, what was George guaranteeing in the first 29 years of business? The answer is he was guaranteeing low prices. Okay. Okay. But at the end of the day, he had delivered that message. Non-customers said low prices. Right. Customers said low prices. Right. So to continue to say low prices wasn't going to change his business. Right. Okay, but when we looked at non-customers versus customers, the difference was customers said good value mm -hmm. and non-customers said cheap suits. Right. So, so all we had to do was to change the way non-customers felt about the quality of the product. And, and what we did, because I, I was working with a very good creative director at the time, what he did was to say that I guarantee it was no longer going to be about guaranteeing prices. Mm -hmm. It was going to be about guaranteeing the way you look. Gotcha. Men are the worst shoppers in the world. Right. Which is why they typically bring their wives with them to go shopping. Right. Um, they, they are the most insecure about the way they look. And they, they don't know whether a pair of pants look good or whether it doesn't look good. So, so what the men's warehouse ultimately ended up with was you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Right. Okay, right. so the guarantee shifted from low prices, which was no new news, mm -hmm. to you're going to like the way you look, right. which was all about the quality of the offering, right. and change their same sort of comps forever. And I assume that men will pay more if it's easy. Um, they will. They will, but... but um, yes, this man will. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, easy yeah. tends to be more of an emotional feeling. So and, I have a friend that owns a um, telecom company. Mm-hmm. They 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 uh, install voicemail and VoIP and they do low vol, vol voltage and they're losing a lot of business to the IT guys that now can do phone systems mm -hmm. and such. And he and I don't see him making any changes at all to how he's perceived for the customers. So what should a guy like that change? So so he's got to change the way his his customers feel about doing business with him. Mm -hmm. And 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 as you say. Um, a lot of times, if, if I feel like it's easier to do business with a company, then, then you, the, the operative word is feel. Right. Um, the, because that leads you down an emotional path. Mm -hmm. Where, whereas some people would say, no, 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 i got to change the way people think about my business. Mm -hmm. Well, think is using that frontal cortex again. So, so that starts with the initial perception of the first touch, I would assume. It, 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 the first touch the has to be... Yeah. The most important. I mean, who's the who's the plumber? Um, do No, no, I think it's Mike Diamond. <laughs> Mike Diamond, yeah. Right? Client of mine, by the way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Who says, what, what's their tagline? The, 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 oh, the, the smell. The smell good, good plumber. Smell good plumber. Right, right. Brilliant, by the way. And they well, and also, if you listen to the radio ads, they always had this like little chime. Chime, right. Right, yeah, right. So. to say, this is our brand. Right, Ding. right. Right, right. So, so, I'm sorry, but are, smelling good, right? Right. Is that about is that about cost value? Right. Is that about quality workmanship? Right. Is that about it, all of the things that you would expect a plumber to say? Mm -hmm. They say no, no, no. Forget all about that stuff. Our plumbers just smell good. And by the way, they also bring the opposite feeling to the competition because they call the competition Bubba. 
right? Bubba don't smell good. Bubba don't smell good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so they, they do the comparative thing. Really, a big part of their marketing campaign is the anti-advertising. Well, if that's an, if that's a if that's a word. But Mike Diamond, um, you know, because of their size and because of their scope and because of the 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 you know number of trucks and plumbers they have out there, you know, they could they could offer you know they could say we're going to be five percent cheaper than everybody. Right. They don't. Yeah. No, they don't. Because, we smell better. Because, well, because who's their number one customer? Yeah, right. women. Right. Right. So so. You know, so so they're appealing to the emotional right. side of it instead of the rational right. side of it. Right. Right. Um, you, you know, one lesson I learned early on in my consulting business, um, uh, my client was Rembrandt. Yeah. Um, the toothpaste. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The toothpaste. Okay. So so we went out and we did focus groups. Um, we talked to like sixty different women, um, and of the sixty different women, here's a question for you. How many of those women, they were all Rembrandt users, how many of them also used either Crest or Colgate? Oh, that's interesting. All of them. 58. 58. Might as well have been all. Okay. Okay. So so what did we learn from that? Because Rembrandt was a whitener. It was not a toothpaste. Exactly. So what, what we learned from that was that Rembrandt needed to redefine what their offering right. was. Right, that that they were not really in the toothpaste business. That what they were really in is the cosmetics. Right, business. the appearance business. Exactly. Right. 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 And 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 so, um, so the messaging was no should no longer have been mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, uh, you know, the the clinical benefits of Rembrandt. Right. It needed to be about the cosmetic. Right. Benefit. So so I sat down with the CEO of Rembrandt, who who was a dentist. Um, and I and I explained to them, you, you know, I was very excited about it because I, I said to myself, I'm going to change your whole business, yeah, just based on this this one discovery. And and he looked at me and he said, you don't fully appreciate the clinical capabilities that are right. within our product, right? And we were done. We were done. We were done. He, he uh, eventually he sold his business, and if he would have listened to you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been better. Four out of five dentists would have recommended that. <laughs> Rembrandt. That's interesting. Yeah. But that's so, – so what's interesting about that is that he used a name that was about cosmetics. Rembrandt is about a beautiful painting. Wouldn't right? So, so why wouldn't he call it, you know, the tooth decay-ish? You know? So he, he – in his own branding, his own marketing rather, or whatever you call it, his own – what do you call it? His own launch – Whatever he named his product was based on the what you were talking about, not what he was talking about. Well, so somebody so, gave him good advice in the beginning, right? Um, and and he probably just thought it was cute and clever and catchy, right? Um, but but he didn't understand that there was actually a real benefit. To yeah, it. interesting. Yeah, so sometimes, um, uh, some and, and I think it's fortunate because otherwise um, I wouldn't have been able to build a reasonably successful consulting <laughs> company. Um, are there any? Do's and don'ts, like the three rules of marketing or branding that you can think of, or is there anything that you want to leave, make sure that the listener takes away as kind of a how-to? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, I would say number one, um, uh, focus on emotions, not on rational. Okay, so so focus. I mean, I think it's the whole conversation that we had earlier about um, uh, ask yourself how you want your customer to feel, as opposed to what you want your customer to think. Okay. Um, and, and, and I think that's important. I think number two is um, don't focus on your customer's behavior as much as you focus on the perceptions that cause that behavior. 
Number three is make sure you have yourself a um, a really good strategic consultant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I remember an early story you told me was I think you were working on the Carl's Jr. Uh, campaign, right? Probably yeah. when Carl's Jr. was near death. So Carl's Jr. was at the time near death. I I, I actually wasn't working on it. I was working for the advertising agency okay. that was working on it. Um, and and Carl's at the time, and most of your listeners probably don't even remember this, but but at the time Carl's was owned by a guy named Carl Karcher. I remember that. Yeah. And um, and and it was catering to people like Carl. Right. right. So so they had they had salad bars. They had baked potatoes that you could stuff yourself. They you know they also had hamburgers, but um, but they were like right on the edge of Chapter Eleven, and. and um, we like to say in the advertising business, some of your best clients are the clients that are like just about ready to go into ICU, um, because because when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Right, right. And risk takers at that yeah, point. Yeah, right. And that's where Carl's was at the time. And and we, um, as a company, we we recommended to Carl's that, that they change their entire branding, from from being a place where you could get salads and you know baked potatoes and things like that to to the place where um, 18 to 24-year-old males went to buy the biggest, sloppiest burger they could possibly find. Right. Um, so that when they were all done with it, and, and I mean they inhaled it, right. um, they would buy a second one. Right. Okay. And, and that's what led to the sloppy, messy, right. juicy, disgusting, you know, that, that we got lots of letters about. Right. Um, but and, I remember you telling me the yeah. story about... Yeah, so so one day I walked into the the creative director's office and I said I said you know help me out a little bit because I was focused on business development and I wanted to be able to tell the Carl story to prospective clients. I said help me out a little bit, you know where did this idea come from? And he said oh it was really simple. He said he said we were talking to, you know we were actually in a Carl's Jr. We were you know we we were talking to what we believed was the new target audience, um, and and the guy like dripped some ketchup on his sleeve. And he picked up a French fry to wipe it off. <laughs> I love that story. So, so, so that's your customer. That's the customer. It, I love that story. It wasn't that little old blue-haired lady who was eating. <laughs> Where's those, the beef? Yeah. it wasn't that lady. No, 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 no. It that's was, great. It was that guy that inhales burgers right. at a rate that. So you, you got to know who your customers are, and you got to cater to them. Right, right. right. And you got to you got to give them something that makes them feel differently about your offerings right. than about your competition's offerings. So, Cliff, I could talk like this all day long, as you probably can tell. This but we're is running fascinating. out of time. We're running out of time. So That's tell fine. us how who's, who's, your, who's your customer and how do you want them to reach you? Yeah, so, so I have three simple criteria for evaluating any engagement, which is um, the quality of the people who I work with. So the people have to be nice people and they have to be of high integrity. And you know who you are. Well... A little bit. Yeah. Um, the quality of the work that I'm doing. So so it has to be intellectually challenging and, and you know, the ability to really affect a business. Um, and, and then, you know, a fair value for what I deliver, um, a fair financial value. Mm -hmm. um, as long as those three things are in place, I say yes. Uh, and and um, people can reach me by sending me an email, uh, Cliff Scott at scottgroupconsulting.com. Two T's and Scott. Two T's and Scott. Two, two F's and Cliff. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Pretty simple stuff. You I think can... that should be the fourth criteria. You should be able to <laughs> figure can... out the spelling you of Cliff Scott. you got to be able to spell, yeah. yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I'm there. Um, uh, I do have a URL, but, but uh, you know, little cobbler shoes here. I don't have a website. What? I know. I got um, a guy. 
Well, um, my my belief is that um, if if you if you if you really have, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm more of a practitioner than anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you like need the best heart surgeon anywhere, you gotta go to the internet to try to figure it out. It's like, no, you're gonna like talk to like the best doctors in order to find. It. So, all right, this is the first time I think you've lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> the real answer is I'm lazy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Well, uh, truly, thank you very much. I really, I've known you a long time, but it's really a pleasure to talk to you on this level and hear the real wit and wisdom of you. It's actually an honor to be here. And uh, hope for, uh, as you know, we workshop problems here on Small BizCast. And yeah. so I, what I expect is that people will reach out to me, bring me questions that pertain to something that you do and bring you on as part of the panel. And so I want to solicit that of the audience. People, please send me your questions. We've got a great posse of people that can help answer them. And um, we'll, when they give the answers, we're going to question the answers. We're not just going to listen to the answers. We're going to challenge them. So I'll roll up my sleeves and be ready for it. I really appreciate that. Thanks, right. thanks very much. It's been fun, Joel. Yep, thanks. thanks. Over the many years I've worked at Mercury Document Imaging, we've been solving business problems using technology. And now we have this new reality. Employees are working from home and companies are trying to stay relevant and efficient and have uh, accountability for their employees while doing so. The big problem is that um, the cyber criminals are working from home too. And they have been doing this longer and know what they're doing and know what vulnerabilities you've created by kind of throwing this together quickly. So now that it looks like we're gonna be here for a while, um, it's time to think about this. Let's plug the holes. I want you to uh, reach out to my company. We'll either help you or refer you to a partner that can help you, depending on what the vulnerability is. But the first thing to do is start with an assessment, make sure that you're protected, and then uh, and find the weak link. So please call us, 818-782-1221. My extension is 25913. But call anybody at the office. We're all happy to help you, and we want to make sure that we don't have any more problems than we already have. Thanks. Don't you just love pet shops? Isn't retail scary? Those are the thoughts that enter my brain every time I walk into a pet shop. The next episode of Small BizCast, I'm going to introduce you to Darren Perlmutter, who owns four pet shops. They're called Healthy Pet. They're located in Southern California, and they're doing great. And why are they doing great? Because Darren knows how to take good care of his customers, great care of his employees, knows how to buy right, knows how to merchandise, knows how to make a business run well, even during challenging times with challenging competitors. Here's a sneak peek of the next episode with Darren Perlmutter of Healthy Pet. You know, they have so much more behind them. With the, with us, it's it's just us. It's just my wife and I and my family. And so we are outnumbered, but in the same sense, you know, we're kind of like a, a token, you know, might, might say, because we are kind of unique and we don't look like a cookie cutter. When you walk into Healthy Pet, it's not like, this looks like, you know, a, a family run store, but it's clean and organized and, stocked well and but it it doesn't have a feel of like a machine thanks for listening to another edition of small bizcast you can follow us by giving us likes on our facebook and instagram page at small bizcast or if you have questions and are thinking about sponsoring our show check out our website smallbizcast.com we're looking for new guests by the way so if you know of any small business owners people who have distinguished themselves stood apart fought the battle and won we want to hear from you So go to the website at smallbizcast.com or email me at jv at jovopro.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks.